All right. You glad you came to church today? Yeah, come on now. Yeah, that was so good to sing together about the name of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus, did you know that his name literally means God saves? That's what we're singing about. That's why we're here today. Because God saves. He's in, if you're, if you're newer to church today and maybe you're coming here and uh, you're still hungover, literally or figuratively, from the last week, did you know that God saves? Jesus saves. He wants to bring salvation. He wants to bring healing. He wants to bring redemption right smack dab into the middle of your pain. And he's still doing it today. He's still in the business. You believe that? He's still doing that today. Are you guys awake today? I hope you're awake today. I'm awake today and I'm ready to speak from God's word. Isn't it an honor that we get to open up God's word together? You know that there are places in the world right now still uh, in the 21st century, in 2023, there are places in the world that they can't do this. And man, there are just times where I wake up every Sunday morning, or I come to church on Saturday night for a Saturday night service. And I'm like, and I kind of go through the motions and I take for granted that this is an honor. This is a privilege for people who are meeting secretively in basements, in hideouts right now around the world to hear God's word, to break open his word together. And we just love that we get to open up God's word. We believe it's inspired. We believe that it's authoritative. And if you're newer here to Impact, maybe this is your first week. I've met people every single weekend in the last couple months. They're like, this is our first time. Church, can we just welcome, if this is your first time to Impact, we wanna welcome you. Um, and uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And so it's just so good to have you here today with us. And to kind of catch you up to speed, uh, we are in week 11 of our series, The Holy Wild. But really we're in week like 25 or 30 or something of going through the book of Genesis. Now, if you're newer to faith or you're newer to church and you're not sure about the Bible, maybe you don't even have a Bible. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. So if you, if you have a Bible, you open up, it's right here. This is where we're at. And we, in the last, since October, we started going through the book of Genesis in October. And since October, we have talked about creation. We've talked about sin. We've talked about the image of God that's imparted, that's implanted on every single human being. We've talked about sexuality, not a super popular topic to talk about, but we've gone there. We've talked about sibling rivalries and anger. We've unpacked idolatry and judgment and pain. We've dug into calling generational honor, transformation, giving, money. And today we're talking about birthrights and bowls of stew. It seems a bit weird, doesn't it? But stick with me. I'm gonna, we're going to open up to Genesis chapter 25. If you have your Bibles, you can open up there. Genesis chapter 25. Uh, we're also, it's right here on the screen as well. And we're going to do something a little different today. We don't usually do this, but I'm going to ask that you'd stand as we read God's word together in honor of, of God's word. Okay, we're going to stand together as we read. 
This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When it came time, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out and was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out and his hand was grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm, I'm famished. That is why he was called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. Esau said, what good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. He can have a seat. Thanks for standing as we read God's word together. There's a lot in this there's a lot in this text that I would love to unpack, but I really don't have time to unpack all of it. <laughs> so we could be here for a few hours if we talked about everything in this text. We've got everything. We've got the birth story of Jacob and Esau. After Easter, we're gonna be going more into their story, um, into Jacob and Esau's story. Um, but this is the birth story. And we've got tucked into this text, we've got... Uh, prayer on behalf of your spouse. We've got seeking God for needs that you have. Well, we have sibling rivalry yet again, contention, literally jostling each other and divided even while they're in the womb. Uh, we have favoritism. And if that isn't a poison for families 4,000 years ago and today, I don't know what is. We got favoritism right here tucked into the text. But really where I wanna to go today, and I would love to talk about all those things, but really where I wanna to go today is talking about this exchange between Jacob and Esau when they're adults and this trade that's made. A couple months ago, my boys and I got invited to see the Harlem Globetrotters with uh, Will right over here. Um, 
We got to watch tricks and dunks, the spectacle of these proficient animated basketball stars. Have you been to see the Harlem Globetrotters? You know, like, <laughs> you know, they're doing all these crazy, so fun, so entertaining. Here's a picture of us there at, uh, at the Van Andel. Um, and this is Carter and Easton and Liam, Easton's buddy. Um, and, and on our way, probably one of my favorite parts of the whole outing was the drive to the Van Andel. And the boys are sitting in the back seat of the truck and, uh, and I asked them the question. I said, hey, um, have you guys been, now Carter's 11, Easton's seven. I said, have you guys, um, has anyone ever asked you the question, what you, wanna, what you wanna be when you're older? What do you wanna be? And they kind of like, they're like, yes, dad. <laughs> of course we've had that question. I mean, at 11 and, at 11 and seven, they've had that question over and over again. Um, there's some seniors uh, here in our midst and you're sending out graduation in, in graduation party invites and, and you're preparing for the next stage. And you've heard this question countless times, right? Are you tired of hearing that question, high schoolers? Maybe you're in college and you're tired of hearing that question. Can I get an amen from any of you? It's like, what do you wanna be? Or where are you going? Or what are you doing? You're like, how original, how original. What do you want? So Carter and Easton, so I asked them this question. They're like, yeah. And, and I said, well, have you been asked the question? Something a little different. I'm gonna change one word. Have you ever been asked, how do you want to be? And they were a little confused because it's not even like for all of you English majors, this probably isn't even grammatically correct, right? So they're like a little confused. Like, what do you mean? How do I want to be? And so I got, it's, the wheels are turning. And I said, well, let me rephrase it. If I were to get your friends and your teachers together and I said, would you describe to me Carter Bell or would you describe to me Easton Bell? How would you hope they define you? What words would you hope that they use to describe you? You see, but I think parents and, and adults and students, I think that you would agree with me because you're tired of hearing the question. I think we need to stop maybe asking our kids so often, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because the, often their vocation changes, but how do you want to be? What kind of lineage do you want to leave behind? What kind of character do you want to take with you to your family, to whatever vocation, whatever career, whatever calling you pursue, how do you want to be? And so I asked him this question. And once I said, how would you hope that people described you? Carter answered really, really quick. And he said, uh, responsible. I was like, responsible? Are you 11? <laughs> it's like, and what? Responsible. So I said, well, tell me, what do you mean by that? And so he started to unpack responsibility, why it's a value to him. Easton then speaks up and he said it kind of sheepishly. He's like, well, uh, nice. And I was like, oh, that's good, buddy. What, what about nice? And he as he described Niceness is really kindness. This fruit of the spirit that's reflective of God. Did you know that Romans says it's the kindness of the Lord that actually leads us to repentance? So he says, he's, so we start unpacking, what, is, what does it mean to be kind even when someone is mean to you? What does it mean to, to turn the other cheek, to not retaliate, to, to literally trust God when he says, vengeance is mine, kindness. Not like 
not like, you know, taking it over and over again and not having good boundaries, but literally choosing kindness over, over evil, choosing good over evil. So then Carter, the next thing Carter said, he said, dad, what's that word? Um, what's that word when you, um, when you do the same thing uh, when you're by yourself that you would do in front of people? And I'm, and at this point, I'm up driving the truck and I'm like starting to cry. I'm like, this is an unbelievable conversation I'm having with my boys. And I said, you, integrity. He said, yeah, that, that word, dad, that's, that's one that I would, I want people to say of me. You know, I don't, church, I don't think any of us set out in life. And if I were to ask you individually right now, if we were able to step aside and say, well, what do you hope people say about you? No one is saying, I hope they say I'm stupid. I hope they say I'm a loser. I hope they say that I'm a failure. I hope they, they say I'm unfaithful. They, I hope that they, right? No, one is, no one's choosing that. Yet here's the, here's the deal that we find right here in this story that we're going after today. We find that throughout human history, we are led by our appetites, by our desires, by our drives, to undermine the very goals that we have for our future, to undermine the preferred future that we have. You know, what I didn't talk with the boys about is that one of the most common adversaries to someone's preferred future is their misplaced appetite in the present. I want to be responsible, but it's really easy to be irresponsible. I wanna be a person of integrity, but it's really, really easy to live a duplicitous life. Am I, am I the only one that's... Admitting this, do you know what I'm talking about? I really want to be a person of kindness, but it really is a lot easier and feels a lot better to just let bitterness and anger fester toward that person or that entire people group. Um, in, in college, I got to take a couple of psychology classes and I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor. I wasn't a psych major, but I am intrigued by psychology. Um, I, one of them I took in grad school was uh, adolescent and child development. And it was fascinating. We learned about uh, like some of my favorites were Piaget, um, Erickson's stages of development. Uh, Freud's just weird. So can we just all, Freud was a little kooky to me, but um, one, of, one of my other favorites was Abraham Maslow. He created this, and I think you're probably, some of you are familiar with this. He created this, uh, what he calls the hierarchy of needs for all human beings. So this is like universal. He's making universal statements about our needs. And so it's a pyramid and the base of the pyramid has to be met before you go to the next level. And so right here at the bottom is physiological needs, air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, reproduction, or sex. These are biological drives. You've been given these drives. And here's the, here's the kicker. These are good. These are actually, these are God-given drives. These are God-given appetites. Amen. It goes to the next one, safety needs, personal security, employment, resources, health, property, love and belonging, friendship, intimacy, family, sense of connection. We keep going, esteem, respect, the desire for self-esteem or for status. How about this one, recognition. Here we go, strength, freedom. And the pinnacle, according to Maslow, is this self-actualization where you have a desire to become the most that you can possibly be. All right. um, I think that if, 
I think that if uh, Maslow was around today, he would have altered the hierarchy, hierarchy of needs. If he would have just known in the 21st century what we really need is, <laughs> is so if we don't have Wi-Fi, um, actually, there was this, there was this guy um, about five years ago, his name's Tim Elmore. He's done tons of work with generations and, and uh, he wrote a book called The IY Generation. And, uh, and in, in a series of surveys, he actually discovered that um, millennials, uh, the majority of millennials would rather have an appendage removed from their hands than to lose their phone permanently. And they say, well, right up there with Wi-Fi, we've got phones, okay? <laughs> you see, the problem, church, with most of us is that we're tempted daily to give up what we actually need later for what we think we need right now. We're intoxicated with the feeling of fulfillment. We become tunnel vision into believing that once we fill the void, whatever that void is for you, and you know exactly what that void is. You know, we're all sitting here at a church. Maybe you're watching online right now. You're sitting at home. You're, you, we all know what that void is. We all know what that appetite is that keeps saying, feed me. Some of your deepest wounds are because of this. Did you know that? Your dad chose a bottle instead of your family. Couldn't say no to it. Became so tunnel visioned into the consumption of alcohol that he missed entire family. Your mom, uh, your mom became so intoxicated with this feeling of care and emotional connection with this guy at work that she left everyone for that. You've got a friend maybe that for the sake of uh, success and security and financial gain, you lost that friendship because they were just enthralled with this idea of more of more, of more. We're gonna dig into Esau's story here and we're gonna jump back into verse 29. And we're just gonna take verse by verse, we're gonna unpack scripture together and take some of these statements that Esau says. Um, and and, and I, I want you to ask the question, where does, you, where does your life, how does your life fit into this story? So we believe that God's word is living and active. That has something to say to us. And we believe that the Holy Spirit uses God's inspired word 2,000 to, some years, 2000 to 4,000 years after is written and, and, and speaks to us. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. Everyone say famished. He was famished and he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. He says it again. That's just something to note. When I'm studying scripture um, by myself and with people, and I, I got together this week with some of the pastors on our staff to study this text. And man, I, I hope you're getting together with people to study God's word in a life group, in a discipleship group, in a men's group, a women's group, whatever it is that you're getting together with people to study God's word because it is, it is through opening up his word together that we are changed, we're transformed, we're convicted, we're encouraged, we're challenged. And we notice here in the text, twice it says famished. That means, okay, maybe that, and so I underlined, when I'm reading, underlined twice it says famished. I wonder what that means. What does famished mean? Why is it, why is it twice that it's being said? This is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. 
So underline birthright. What's a birthright? You don't have birthrights today. Does anyone have a birthright? No. Is it 21st century United States of America? We don't, birthrights. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? We're gonna stop there and go through some of these statements one by one. First, I'm famished. I'm famished. This word in, in Hebrew is a combination of a couple of words. Um, to be famished is of course, first, you're hungry. That, that makes sense to all of us. I'm hungry. Um, do you know you make stupid decisions when you're hungry? I, so I'm just telling you right now, I, I'm, I'm very hungry right now. I started fasting on Friday in preparation for this weekend. And I woke up yesterday hungry. I woke up yesterday and I was and we, I decided, hey, we're gonna make breakfast as a family, but I'm fasting, so I'm gonna make breakfast. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there at the stove, I'm making bacon. I'm smelling the bacon. And that's like the worst food to make when you're fasting. I started smelling the bacon. Mmm, that's amazing. And I'm, no, I'm not kidding. While I'm standing there next to the stove, I'm like, I've not told anyone that I'm fasting. I could, I could have a piece and no one would even know. Then I go to the church and I'm doing prep for the message, doing some final prep. And I came home and I get home and I, was, I got home a little bit later, more like, like 1, one thirty, And so I was like, okay, lunch is gonna be done. And, and that's where it's really start, hunger pains are really starting to kick into gear. And so I get home and they're eating, you know what they're eating? They're eating pizza. <laughs> now, if you know me at all, you know that like my favorite food is pizza. Like, what do you mean you're having pizza? What are you doing? And so I'm smelling the pizza and I'm like, oh man. Then, no joke, last night I get home from church and I'm sitting down with the kids who are watching a TV show and Carter comes, I didn't even know he he comes up to me and he sits down next to me and he's like, dad, you want some popcorn? <laughs> popcorn? Someone offered me a donut this morning. I'm telling you what, you're, when you're hungry, you start making decisions based on, and you get tunnel vision, don't you? Most of yesterday, I, the thing I was thinking about the most was food. When you are hungry, you start thinking illogically. You're not thinking clearly because you have an appetite that says, feed me. You have an appetite for more money. You have an appetite for more sex. You have an appetite for more food. You have an appetite for more recognition. You have an appetite for more whatever. I'm famished, I'm hungry. You know what happens when you're hungry? Bad food no longer seems bad. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know the best time to invite people to come over to your house when they're really, really hungry, okay? When they're really, really hungry because everything's gonna be amazing. Everything's gonna be amazing. When I'm the most hungry, I can have food and it's not even that good. It's like cold and it's leftover and it's not even, it's just not even heated up. And I'm like, I don't care because I'm hungry. When you're hungry, bad food no longer seems bad. There's another part though, that this word I'm famished, this word famished means, it not only means uh, I'm hungry, it means I'm exhausted. 
This one's kind of tucked into the word in the Hebrew. It's kind of hidden from our English translation. I'm not only hungry, but I'm exhausted. You know, when you're, when you're exhausted, bad situations become more difficult to resist. Um, so this has been several years ago, so bear with me, but maybe, I don't know if anyone in here is dating right now and you're either engaged or preparing to be, to be married and you've set up some boundaries according to God's word because of his standards about your relationship. And um, 16, this summer, Amy and I celebrate 16 years of being married. And so it's, yeah, thanks. And so it's kind of, it's a little difficult for me to rewind 16, 17 years ago, but I do remember pretty, uh, quite acutely. I remember uh, having these boundaries as we're preparing to get married and we're like, okay, sexually, we're not going to do this. Physically, we're not going to do this. Emotionally and spiritually, we're setting up these boundaries to guard our hearts because we actually believe what Jesus says. And he says, if a man looks at a woman lustfully, they've committed, who's not their spouse, they've committed adultery with them in their heart. And, and so um, we set up some boundaries and we were not perfect in those boundaries. Some of those boundaries, we'd set up the boundary and then we'd break the boundary and then we'd come back and we'd repent and we'd confess the sin and we'd talk with other accountability partners and people. And, and you know the most difficult time for us to keep those boundaries? It's like after 10 p.m. Why? Because we were exhausted. I mean, after 10 p.m., 10 p.m., it was, I'm telling you, it's hard to keep her hands off me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's just, you know, fellas, you know what I'm talking about. Jeez, man, oh, you're exhausted. And so you start letting down your guard. You, you know, you're not as, you're like, ah, you know, I just, I don't feel as strong. I don't feel as even aware of where temptations are coming from. Beware church of places where you are famished, where your hunger meets exhaustion. And that is a recipe for disaster. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking. I, I would say everyone in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about because we've all done it before. We've all fallen into the trap of I'm famished. And so I'm gonna make some trades. Uh, I'm gonna make some trades, big or little, that later I'm gonna be like, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? So he says next, quick, feed me. Uh, this one, so, so this word in Hebrew is really difficult to translate. In fact, if you have your Bible study, so this happens in Bible study too. So I, I use the NIV, but I've got a friend that uses ESV and NASB and New King James Version. And this phrase is translated very differently. If you wanna go and do a little bit of a study afterward, it's very different in English translations because it, this word is only found one place in all of scripture right here. One time. That also should make our eyes and ears kind of perk up like, okay, why? This is an extreme word. It's only found one place. And one, one version of, the, one English version actually says it this way. It says, uh, brother, let me gulp down some of that stew. One of them says, quick, feed me. One of them, one of them says, let me have this. Uh, this word is about, almost like a, a beast-like voracious appetite to consume. If you've ever eaten with 
our good friend, Jason Holdridge, you know what this is like. Jay doesn't let food sit for more than like one minute. I'm just starting my food if we're out to eat and he's done. He's consumed it. He's inhaled his food. I picked on him last night too, so it's fine. It's, it's like you've got the food and it's just, you're, you're, you're devouring it, inhaling it. It's timing. This is the quick fix for long-term success. This is greedily devour. One uh, commentary said, both hunger and exhaustion make us vulnerable to manipulation. Manipulation by ourselves, manipulation by other people, and manipulation by Satan. Uh, it's really interesting to me that like in scripture, in Matthew chapter four, Jesus is about to begin his earthly ministry. And um, in Matthew chapter four, it says that Jesus goes, he's led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after fasting 40 days and nights. Has anyone fasted 40 days and 40 nights? That's brutal. I'm on day three, two or three. I'm like, oh my word. And here's what Satan does. You know, Satan comes in and Satan's name, Satan, the Satan, literally means the accuser, the adversary. First name that was given to Satan in scripture is found in Genesis chapter three, and he's the deceiving serpent. And so he comes in, I almost like slithers in and he says, you know, the first temptation that he offers Jesus, turn this rock into bread, <laughs> feed yourself. You're hungry, aren't you? It's just one look, it's just one bite. Won't, won't hurt anyone, no, no one will even know. You can hide this, it's not a big deal, man. These appetites, these appetites are drive for food, the drive for water the drive for sex, the drive for clothing, the drive for relationships, the drive for meaning, the drive for accomplishment, the drive for recognition. I, this one happened to me yesterday, even as I was preparing this message, I said to Ryan, um, as we were talking about certain notes, and this was for something not even about this message, it's something completely unrelated. I was like, yeah, just, uh, I just said kind of joking, I was like, well, I mean, if you use that, just, you know, you got to give me some props. You know what I mean? You got to give me the photo cred that I deserve. You know what I mean? I couldn't even believe it. It was within hours of me delivering this message. I'm like, recognition is just oozy. I, I need the recognition. I want the recognition, the drive for power. I think all of these stem from our five senses, the power of our five senses. Do you remember the five senses? What are they? Sight. Sight. Hearing, smell, taste, touch. Five senses. That uh, most scientists, sociologists, psychologists would actually attribute uh, like humanity's survival to these senses. You know, when you're teaching your toddler not to touch the stove because it's hot, your touch then tells you what's safe and what's not safe. Smell t tells you what's safe or what's not safe. It tells you it, these sight, it, oh, oh, danger, what things are good, yet they're often so deceptive for us. How about this question? I got a series of questions that correlate to our five senses. Does it 
look good. That guy at the gym is pretty good looking. Does it look good? That girl on your phone that no one else knows about? Hmm. And you fantasize and you look and then you look again and then you find yourself looking a lot. You find yourself addicted to this, this, uh, this almost prison of your own doing, of your own desire gone awry. Does it sound good? I just gotta confess, this one's like tough for me. So you've heard of Gary Chapman's, the book, The Five Love Languages. My number one love language to receive is words of affirmation. I love hearing people say good things about me. Do you? I'm like, if it's flattery, I don't even care if it's flattery. My psyche's like, I don't care. Is it real? I don't know. It sounds amazing. Just sounds awesome. Tell me more. What else do you think about me? You know, that's what I, does it sound good? Fawning fanfare. Does it feel good? And this is like, this is like the primary litmus test in our culture for that which is meaningful. Meaning comes from happiness and happiness comes from how you feel. Does it feel good? If it feels good, then it leads you to happiness, then it must be good. That created some good meaning in your life. I'm telling you, church, do not be deceived by that. If it feels good, then it is good. Amen. Does it smell good? Whew. I'm a sucker for a good cinnamon roll. <laughs> I'm just thinking about food so much right now. You guys can tell. Oh, man. Yeah, scientists actually say that they think that memory is most closely attached to our olfactory system, our sense of smell. So if you're looking for good memories, oh, I'm just waiting for the smells of spring too. Those flowers blooming, oh my word. And you, it's intoxicating. Does it taste good? Sugar, candy, sweets, oh my word. Church, the temptation with our five senses and with these drives that are God-given is, um, I think Andy Stanley puts it this way, your appetites will either control you or you will control your appetites. Um, this is, the, the temptation is for us to get what we want while we actually sell what we need. To get what we want while we sell what we actually really need. The text goes on, and uh, so then Jacob says, hey, well, sell me your birthright. And I, I gotta believe that this guy's like, I can't, I don't think he's gonna do it, but I'm gonna ask him for his birthright. Esau's response here is I'm about to die. Do you, any of you friends with people who are melodramatic? <laughs> don't elbow anybody. <laughs> I'm about to die. 
Okay, so I, I wonder if this is actually true for Esau. Let's, um, let's talk through this logically. So he walks into the space, whether it's a room or it's a clearing or wherever it is that Jacob's making the food, he's able to walk into the space. So I have a really hard time believing that he's actually about to die. But let's say it's his, those are his last steps. He gets in there, boom, he collapses. He is this close to death. Does he really believe that a bowl of lentil soup is going to save him. How many calories do you think probably in this thing? 1,000, 1,500? What does that get a grown man through? It gets him through a day and he sells a lineage. He sells Abraham, Isaac, and Esau to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Centuries, millennia down the road, we never say Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. We say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for this. For this. What good is a birthright to me, he asks. So this is weird for us to consider um, because we don't live in a day where birthrights are even a thing but let's rewind to the original context from 4,000 years ago. And this statement right here, so they would have been reading or they would have been hearing God's word read aloud at, uh, at a gathering and uh, likely at their, at their synagogue or at their tent of meeting or at the temple and they're hearing God's word read aloud. And I'm not kidding, it likely would have been the case that if someone's hearing of Jews or, or anyone from the Middle East or Near East is hearing this for the first time, they hear the question, what good is a birthright to me? And they do this. <gasps> you would have heard in the audience, <gasps> what? What do you mean what good is a birthright? It's blasphemous. It's treasonous. It's like the worst of offenses. You see, a birthright for them was everything. The birthright went to the bekor in Hebrew. This was the oldest male. The birthright was a double portion of the land and the inheritance and the money of, uh, of the patriarch. And so in this case, uh, there's two sons and it, the, the, all, of the, all of the land and the inheritance would have been divided three ways, okay? And so Jacob would have gotten a third and Esau gets two thirds. Right. Not only was it possessions, but it was actually purpose and, and uh, responsibility. Amen. You were the, uh, the, the Bekor would have become the judge for the whole family, the one that leads the whole family, the one that set, takes on the lineage of the whole family and the, and, and the job for their dad. Esau's not thinking clearly, is he? What good is a birthright to me? We don't have birthrights today, but I actually think we, we probably do more than what you think. Some of you are like, well, we don't have a birthright. I don't like it. No one has ever given me an inheritance like that. I'm telling you, you have a spiritual inheritance from the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, that every single day you are tempted for a bowl of lentil soup to give away and to sell. You've been given the fruit of the spirit. Did you know that? It's pretty basic. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know that you are a faithful person when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. 
It's not like, well, that guy's better at faith than I am. No, you have the gift of faithfulness and you're tempted every single day to wake up and to choose unfaithfulness toward your family toward your spouse, toward your friends, toward your God. You're, you're tempted every single day. Some of you are waking up every single morning and you turn on the news and you go through your feed and you consume anxiety and you consume fear. And do you know that you're selling away the peace of God that was given to you by the Holy Spirit? You're selling it away. You choose at work grumbling and complaining and you're selling away your joy. You're selling away the goodness for the bowl of stew. What's your bowl of stew? What's your bowl of stew? The text goes on and says, so he swore an oath to him selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave, some, gave Esau some of the bread and some of the lentil stew and he ate and he drank and then he got up and left. He ate, it's just, the, these verses feel so trite to me. He ate, he drank, he got up, he left and he despised his birthright. What a sad ending to this story. He despised his birthright. Um, we're gonna sing a song here to close. Sarah and Ivan are gonna come out and we're just gonna have a time of reflection, a time of singing together, um, a time of confession maybe. And maybe you need to come forward to confess to a prayer team. Maybe you need to sit in your seat and just confess before God. Esau despised his birthright. And that word means contempt. It means contempt. Contempt doesn't just communicate our feelings about something um, as much as our valuation of that thing. This word, this is what's so beautiful to me. This word is found a couple other places in the Hebrew Bible and uh, in the Old Testament. And one of them is in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And it says, after David saw Bathsheba, desired her, pursued her, had sex with her, covered up the sin by killing her husband. It says that Nathan the prophet came to David and it says this about his sin. It said, David, you despised the Lord. You didn't, you didn't value, you didn't honor, you didn't respect God with this sin. Here's the beauty, here's the hope, church, today as, we, as we're gonna sing this song together, here's the beauty and the hope um, is that you can have a second chance. David writes this Psalm in Psalm 51 right after he has despised the Lord. And he says, um, Lord, my God, a, a broken and a contrite, a humble, submissive heart, you will not, get this, same word, God, you won't despise. You won't despise. My mind often goes to, uh, to Luke chapter 15, where Jesus tells this parable of a son who does a similar thing that Esau does. And he goes and he takes all of his inheritance and he goes and he squanders all of it. 
and wild living and sin. He just does whatever feels good, right? Whatever those five senses tells him, he lives according to his appetites. And at the end, you, you, know this, you know this to be true, that appetite never actually fulfills the need that you're looking for. And so at the very end, he's like, I'm, in, I'm destitute. And so I'm gonna go back to my father. And maybe I could at least be a servant. And his father runs out to him and his father welcomes him with open arms and with grace. And what Jesus is telling here is the gospel story. Church, if you've sold away your birthright, it's not too late to regain redemption. Like Jesus brings a fresh start. If you're contemplating selling your birthright, some of you in here right now, I know this to be true because we as a pastoral staff, we meet with a lot of you each week. Some of you are considering selling away your birthright. (laughs) You're considering taking the temptation from that appetite and pursuing that relationship. You're considering going for broke. You're considering, considering giving it all away for that one thing that's tempting you. Don't do it. Tonight, we're gonna get our hearts right with the Lord. As we sing this song together, the prayer team's gonna come up. If you need to come forward and have this be a time of prayer, you can. If you need to sit where you're at and just reflect and confess before God, uh, do it. Do some work with the Lord this morning.